And as we go through the series, we're going to see that happen and um, how a small band, about 100, 120 people, gather together after the ascension of Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we talked about last week, uh, we're able to make a difference. And if you've missed uh, past uh, sermons, I encourage you to listen online or watch in our videocast. And I know people are traveling today for Mother's Day, so for those who are tuning in video videocast, I want to welcome you as well. And as we dive in this morning, I want to really center on relationships, because relationships and community is really why and how the church changed the world. Um, this unified band. In fact, the Bible says that you and I are made for relationships. And in, in fact, if you go to Genesis chapter 2, the first thing mentioned as not good is when man is alone or humanity is alone. There's, it seems like we can handle a lot of different things, but loneliness does something to our psyche. There's something that does to our soul. We're made for relationships. And the Bible, got, the Bible says that God has developed just the place where you can experience, where you can give and receive uh, community. That place is called the church. And the Bible says that there is this, this um, supernatural dynamic at work in the church. That the church is, yes, an organi- organization, but it's also an organism. It's a living body, and it's very special. And Christ is the head of the body. And it's not just another place. It's actually uh, quite remarkable. And the Bible also says that you and I, when it comes to community, how God deepens our relationship with Him and also with those around us. About 60% of you here at Maple Grove Covenant Church are involved in community groups or a men's group or a women's group, and I applaud that. Congratulations. But for the 40% of you that are here this morning, I want you to get a good picture from the Bible, the book of Acts, and that you'll actually respond, hopefully, by saying, I need to get connected that there would be a response, and you take your communication card, and you would actually mark on there, I want to be involved in community groups. And after last week's service, I, I, I asked you if you would join me in praying for and, and sharing your faith with people, people around you, whether are strangers or neighbors or friends, and over 100 of you respond by saying, yes, I'm in. And I've been praying for each of those uh, cards. And it was just quite remarkable, too. When I, some people put their names on there and said, yes, I'm in. I was like, wow, that is tremendous. And I've been praying for myself, too, because uh, I was convicted by that, that I need to um, have more opportunities to share our faith. But I'm hoping on this one, you actually respond, too, by saying, I want to get connected. I want to get connected. I, I really want to experience a community. And, and, and Acts really reveals to us what what real, true community is. And it teaches us three truths on um, the topic of community. If you want to follow with your teaching notes, I'm going to go through three different uh, truths on community. And with your Bibles, you want to turn to Acts chapter 2. You can follow along with our slides too. And probably for those on the corner there, you're not going to be able to see the, the screen, so you, you're probably going to want to pull up a, an app or some of you already have a, a Bible app. But Acts chapter, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and I'm going to be reading most of the passages out of the New Living Translation, although there's, there's a couple I use a different translation. But let me pray for us as we start. God in heaven, we give thanks. We give thanks for you. And God, for us, as we think about community and that we're wired for community, 
that we are made in the image of a triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. In other words, the triune God that experiences community. And that is our origin. We come from you. We come from community. And that's why we desire it so much. More and more in this world that is changing rapidly. People I talk to who, who are really looking for a place to belong. And I pray for those who are here this morning that might be new to our church that they would have a sense of belonging and begin the steps of community. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? All right. Verses uh, 42 through 47, probably one of those popular uh, passages when it comes to community in the entire Bible. All the believers devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking and uh, and to fellowship and, and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, and, all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all, there it is again, we see that word all a second time. All believers met together, not majority, not half, but all. All met together in one place. It was probably the upper room where the, they had the Last Supper with Jesus. And that, that was the beginning place of the early church. And shared everything they had. They, not some, not most, but they. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money, the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And all, we hit this again, the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So as we look at this, I want to first start with verse 46. It's an important verse. They worshiped together at the temple each day, and met in homes for the Lord's Supper. It's important. It says each day. I want you to underline that phrase. Each day they did this. Each day they met together. Because when it comes to community, when it comes to real community relationships, there has to be a frequency, right? It can't be once a year. It can't be once every couple years. For community to really happen, there has to be a a regular face-to-face uh, gathering, not through email, not through texting, not through Facebook, but actually face-to-face, frequency on a regular basis. That's how community happens. It's interesting, when Facebook took off in 2006, I remember this, 13 years ago, and it seemed like uh, for, for people that I knew, they were so fascinated by these people on Facebook that had like 500 friends, 600 friends, 700 friends, and it seemed like these people like are celebrities, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe how many friends they have, how many friends they have on their, their Facebook account, and to have that large of a community. But of course we know, in retrospect, they're not really friends, they're acquaintances, and sometimes not even that. But back then, many of us believed in this facade of having all these online friends, but there was no regular face-to-face gatherings with these people, for the most part. There was no frequency of getting together. Maybe online, but there's something different about face-to-face. In fact, a New York Times writer, when this whole phenomenon was taken off, he actually uh, wrote an article about uh, sort of a sociological experiment that he did. He had 767 friends. He decided one day to invite them to his birthday party that was coming up. And he was going to have his family there, but he wanted to see, you know, of, of all his online 760 friends, these close, tight-knit friends, if they'd show up for his birthday party. So he sent invites to everybody. Most of them did not respond. 
And he was taken aback a little bit. I thought, I thought we were friends. I thought we were, you and I were friends on Facebook, and he got a lack of response. And then another hundred or so said maybe, and about 60 or so said, yes, we'll, I'll, we'll be there. So he rented out a large restaurant. Came to, it came time for his birthday party. Uh, him and his family were there. One friend showed up. And even that friend had to leave early. And it, it just took him aback. And he found out not only the fact that friends are really not friends in a certain uh, respect or community in an online environment, but also he found out that maybe means no. Uh, and, uh, excuse me, yes means maybe, and maybe means no. But the, the social media experience that, uh, that he, experiment that he did only reaffirms Acts chapter 2, that you need to have consistent gatherings together. You know, as, as they gather together and were with each other on a regular basis, it says in verse 46, they worshiped together at the temple. Then skipping down, they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. There's something dynamic in our gatherings when we get together and have meals. There's something about meals. We see Jesus all the time as he's teaching people who are having meals. And we see the early church pattering themselves. And Eugene Pearson wrote a book called The Resurrection Life. Uh, Eugene Pearson is actually the translator of the Message Bible, by the way. And he finds three main themes to the life in Christ. And one of them is meals, table fellowship. Because there's something about meals, a dynamic. Because when it comes to meals, there's something that happens. There's something that happens. And I would say if, if you want to deepen your community, and maybe it's your, your community group, maybe it's the, the small group that you're with, have meals together. Have meals together. Invite people over to eat with you. Maybe next week, not today, but next week, you look around the, the sanctuary here, and maybe you recognize a few people that you want to get to know better, and invite them over for a meal. And then invite Pastor Craig over for a meal. Yes, because you will deepen in your community. And I've seen that happen. A number of people here who have deepened in their community groups and also just in community with people by having meals together. They have grown in their relationships. And also they have grown in their waistline too. So, But meals are very important. Very important. I love what the writer in Hebrews says this in verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 25. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another. Now, I just want you to write that down, the habit of meeting together. Because somewhere, something was happening where the habit wasn't occurring. In the average American church, people uh, attend church maybe, for the, they would say on a regular basis, for those who say, I'm a regular attendee, about once a month. But let's not give up the habit. And habit is something that you do with frequency. You do it over and over. It takes time, T-I-M-E. Community doesn't happen overnight. It takes time, regular, regular time. So the question I want to ask you is, what is keeping you from joining a community group? You can join one now. And maybe you, for you, it's, it's, you know what? Now is the time to do it. Now is the time for me to join a community group here or get more involved, get more plugged in to this church. And why should I make time for it? You may ask your question, I'm way too busy. I have this, I have that. My kids are in sports. You have a number of things. You know why? Because community and relationships is one of the primary reasons God puts you on earth. It's one of the primary reasons, the primary purposes 
that God puts you on earth, to be in a relationship, relationship with him and relationship with each other. It's the greatest commandment. It's one of your God, God-given purposes. Also, uh, so that filling in the blank for uh, number one is that community occurs through frequent times together. Let's move on now. Community not only happens through uh, consistent times together or frequent times together, but also through support. Let's move to chapter 4 of Acts. And it's sort of almost like an echo of, of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 4, 32 through 35, we see some similar things. Here's that word again. All, all the believers are united in heart and mind. They had unity, but it did not mean they didn't have disagreement. Unity does not mean agreeing on everything. And they felt what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we're seeing the church, it's burgeoning, it's busting out. They're growing, they're growing in attendance. In fact, one day, 3,000 people were added to that 100, 120 people in the upper room. So about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Can you imagine the parking lot problem? Holy cow. But, verse 32 to 35, we see the fact that they're giving and supporting each other. They're helping one another. There are no needy people among them because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those who are in need. So one of the ways that the church, not only that as they met together, they supported each other. And one of the ways they supported each other was through finances. They helped each other when they were in need. Do we look around in people in our community group or the Bible study that we're in, are we attentive enough to, to spot if someone is in financial need, just based on what they're talking about, based on their prayer requests? And are we courageous enough to step forward and to ask them if we can help? Because I have the privilege of being involved in a number of ways of helping people in our church who are in financial dire straits. We have a benevolence fund. We take an offering at the end of the service, this wooden box in the back, and you are so generous. We have over $20,000 in our benevolence fund. And I would love to see that go to zero at some point because we're actually helping a lot of people because that's what the church is. It, it helps each other. And, and the thing is, is, as I talk to people who are in need, you would not believe their embarrassment. Uh, as they come to me or they come to somebody on staff, or they come to one of our leaders, how embarrassed they are. Or how much filled with shame they are. Why is that? Because we live in a culture where if you don't have your finances in order, something is wrong with you. You're a pariah. You're a lowlife. Something is seriously wrong with you. And yes, we need to have wisdom and discernment as we allocate those funds. Don't get me wrong. We just don't hand out money to whoever. But there were a few people when I, I first started as lead pastor who told me, you got to be a look, on the lookout for people who are going to try to scam the church. They're going to attend church, and they're going to ask for help with finances. you got to look out for them. And I agree with them. Yes, you have to be wise. But I'd rather err on grace I'd rather err on loving support because that's what the early church did. And it's a privilege to help those in need and see them get on their feet, to see them go to a class like Financial Peace University and to see people in our church who are really, um, really sharp. They have great financial acumen come alongside those people and help them. It's remarkable. You see the transformation. 
And we've been going through this 90-day tithe challenge, and so many people have emailed me talking about how God has just transformed their finances. But one of the ways that the church exists is to support one another financially. We had a single man um, a little while ago uh, that was going through a divorce. And he was married and became single. He had a divorce he didn't want. And he had to move. And he had very little furniture. He had no dishes. He left all that behind for his his ex-wife. And he had a limited amount of money. Yet this church, Maple Grove Covenant, rallied around that guy. We had some of the ladies in this church set up sort of like a registry, although there wasn't like a registry for a divorced single man, you know, to, to, to buy things at Target, what have you. But they set up this registry, it's like, almost like a college registry or something. But anyway, so many of you gave towards that. So many of you bought meals because this guy, at that point, wasn't a really good cook. And some of you bought meals at Let's Dish. And so many of you come along, came alongside him and prayed with him and encouraged him, sent him cards and one family even gave him enough money for furniture, and he was so moved by this. That's community. And that guy was me. That guy was me. And if you don't know my story, this church rallied around me in, uh, in ways that um, that's absolutely humbling. And when you're a pastor, and you're the one typically that has the conduit of helping people, and then you're receiving that. And what this, church, what this church means to me, and how you helped me, and I would not be here without you. And I thank you for that. And that's what a church does. It comes alongside them. But also, a, a church comes along people too, not only just with money, but other ways. We come alongside people to support them emotionally, don't we? to understand and affirm their feelings, to validate them and what they're going through. And I can't tell you how important that is and how that happens here. To support somebody emotionally and where you say, I understand you, I validate you, I am not going to leave your side. That's community. We long for that. And I know you've had, some of you have had bad church experiences, but maybe for you it's to begin again. It actually can happen just like in the book of Acts. I love this verse, Job 6.14. A despairing man or woman should have the devotion of his or her friends even though he or she forsakes the fear of the Almighty. What does that mean? That means that sometimes we go through tough seasons and we begin to doubt God. We begin to doubt his goodness. And we even wonder, perhaps, is he even there? Or is he, if we take on a, a sort of a deist worldview and say, well, he's asleep. He's not really active involved in this world. He's not paying attention. He's, he's paying attention to other stuff. And we wonder about that. And community ought to be a place, a church should be a, a place where you can share your theological questions. There's a few people I meet with right now that are dealing with this. They're in deep pain. They have experienced loss, and they're wondering Wondering, and they're almost afraid to do it because they'll hit, get, like, hit by a lightning bolt or something or they'll uh, commit the unpardonable sin. I'm like, no, do it. Share. That's where it should happen, in the church. And yet, 
a lot of us are so reticent in doing that. But we ought to share our doubts. We ought to share some of the questions that we have. And God welcomes that. There's stories all over the Bible of the, like, sort of the model example of Christians and people of God who are constantly questioning God. And, as, and God revealed himself to them and helped them. And for us, when we have community, do we have a, are you in a community group where it's safe enough to share that kind of situation? I doubt God is really paying attention to me. Is your group safe enough? If not, I start moving in that direction because we need that. And not only does community happen through frequent gatherings together, number two, community occurs through support for one another. Number two, it's the second truth that the book of Acts teaches us. Let's move to the next one. Because sometimes people come into church and they have this sort of... um, idyllic or idealized picture of the church, like heavens, this is heaven on earth. Or sometimes even people will actually um, apply to go on staff because they want to be closer to God because they believe that, that that's where God is and it's holy and things are perfect and, and it's just like heaven on earth. You know, but the reality is, is that you got stuff you're working out and I do. We have stuff that we're working out. We're human. It's not perfect. It's not going to be heaven. So when you come to a church, don't think, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be perfect. Because I know people who jump from church to church looking for the perfect church. You're not going to find it. Why? Because human beings are there. Yes, we have frailties. We have vulnerabilities. We sin. We make, we make mistakes. You're going to drive them crazy, and they're going to drive you crazy. That's just the reality. But we are a family, and we work it out. It's not fight or flight. We work it out. We stay in it. We work things out. Not too long ago, John Alquist um, shared at our annual meeting uh, to those people who were wrestling with things about our church, and he said, don't leave. Don't leave. Dig in. And a number of you over the 31 years of this church have stayed through thick and thin, through some really hard times, because you believe this is the family of God and that we're going to work out our differences. We're going to work out our sin. We're going to work out those things together. I got stuff to work on. You got stuff to work on. God's people disagree, but we disagree as a family, not as enemies. Let's take a look at this in the book of Acts because. The, the uh, church, sometimes we hold up Acts 2 or Acts 4 and say, okay, here's the blueprint for the church. Like, that's it. You know, like, that, that's the definition. Not true. If you move over to chapter 6, you find out they got some problems. Of course they do. Acts 6, 1 through 4. But as the believers rapidly n- multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. In other words, these Gentile, these Greek widows, were not getting their allotment for food. So the 12 disciples, apostles, called together a meeting, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, so on and so forth. We'll give them the responsibility that we can spend our time in prayer in teaching the Word. So they had a conflict. And we don't know the entire story here. It wasn't like, okay, here's a conflict, resolve, piece of cake. We all know conflicts typically don't get resolved that quickly, especially within a church. 
We don't know the full story. Perhaps there was resentment for a while from the Greek widows. And maybe even after they were given food, there was still some stuff they had to work out. Because we know it just doesn't happen in one shot. Conflict is something that we have to work through. And despite the, un- the awe and the wonder of the early church, everything was not perfect. It was not utopia. And when it comes to church, we like to avoid it. And in fact, when conflict t- tends to rise its head, that's when some people will actually leave. They don't want to deal with conflict because they have conflict in their family. They have conflict in their jobs. But conflict is something that we have to deal with. And one of the reasons why we don't want to deal with conflict is because we avoid telling people the truth. And I think one of the sad things is that when it comes to community, we think, you know, we just need to be nice. But actually to have real, meaningful uh, community, to have real, meaningful community is telling each other the truth. I need people in my life who tell me the truth. Because I have blind spots. In fact, when I came out as lead pastor, one of the leaders of this church that I meet with once or twice a year, just a sharp leader, he said, Craig, you've got to get some, a, a person or two alongside you who is going to call out your blind spots. That's going to be sometimes a devil's advocate because you're going to have plenty of people who are going to give you flattery, they're going to give you a lot of compliments, but they're not going to speak truth in your life. And you need, you need to have that if you want to be a good leader and if we want to have a good church, and he's dead right, and I have that. But we want to avoid that. We want to avoid telling people the truth. And sometimes we just we don't have the courage to do it. And year by year, we have the same blind spots. I want people to tell me about my blind spots. Uh, but to do it nicely. That's one of the things that we have to do is that when we share conflict with somebody or we share, share something truthfully, we need to do it in a God-honoring way. I love what the Bible says in Proverbs 24, 26. This is just a jewel of a verse. An honest answer is the sign of true friendship. Right? It's sort of, and it's sort of in a way, is like if you got you know, broccoli caught between your teeth and you're talking in front of, you know, in front of your friends, who, who's going to be the person to tell that person, hey, you got broccoli caught between your teeth? Or maybe your, your zipper's down. I want somebody to tell me that. If I'm preaching sometime that happens, please, right away, st- just stand up and say, hey, your zipper's down, okay? <laughs> I taught a class at Bethel University, and I didn't have, that wasn't community. I didn't have friends there, and I was doing a lecture for 20 minutes, and finally, after 20 minutes, a student said, hey, professor, your zipper's down. Why'd you wait 20 minutes? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. I, I just think, you know, my opinion, this is my opinion, I, I just think sometimes just be nice makes God sick and unhappy. He wants honesty. He wants us to share perhaps our anger or our frustration that we have with another individual. And I love this. This is from Rick Warren. It's the tunnel of conflict is where the relationships are built. Do you believe that? Maybe your relationship, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's, it's your community here, hasn't really grown that much because really there's no conflict. And I'm not saying trying to start something for the sake of starting something. But I'm talking about conflict is one of the ways our community is built. It's one of the things that we do. is where we tell each other truth. We don't sweep things under the carpet. We don't do pseudo-fake, phony community. And maybe for you, that's what you need in your marriage. 
I've seen people be married for 20, 30, 40 years, and they never get down. They never share really the truth. But also, conflict is not a license to say anything you want, anytime you want. It's not like, I'm just going to speak the truth, let the chips fall uh, where they may. That's just the way I am. I'm going to share three things here. I want you to maybe write these down. Three things on conflict. Compliment in public and share or correct in private. Compliment in public, correct in private. And I think sometimes we have the reverse. Sometimes we correct in public and compliment in private. But that's the way you deal with conflict. It's compliment in public, correct in private. I don't care if it's your kids, your wife, or somebody in your group. That's, I think, a really good step. And not by email, not by text, but actually face-to-face. Next, correct them when they're up, not when they're down. Again, community groups, marriages, families, whatever. Don't do it when they're down, okay? Don't, like, hit somebody in a sense, not, not, not physically but verbally, when they're down, when they're emotionally low because it's only going to make things worse. Or you go to bed with your spouse, it's 11.30, and then you're going to roll over and drop an A-bomb on them and say, okay, these are problems that we have. Okay? Not a good time to do a little conflict resolution, 11.30 at night. Also, never offer correction until you're open to it yourself. You've got to be open to yourself. They, they need to know that you are open to receiving the same words as well. So number three, the third truth that the book of Acts teaches us is that community occurs through dealing with conflict. So it's frequency, it's support, and it's dealing with conflicts. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you so much for community. And Lord, it's not easy. It's hard. And I pray that you would help us. And as we uh, leave this morning, we might be going to a family function I said, as I talked to somebody yesterday, that um, just dreading going to the in-laws because there's a few people that they can't stand. And maybe time, it's time in private to share that with them, to share their feelings, and not to keep doing the same thing year after year after year. In the same way, Lord, help us to be open to those around us as they share with, our, share with us our blind spots. In doing so, our community, our relationships will grow. And we do this to honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said?